Jay and Dorian wanted to create a memorial for the generations of people who've lived in southern Indiana. The Native Americans, the limestone workers. But they wanted to avoid the pitfalls of conventional monuments. The problem of typical public monument was singular reading. That was really direct because it's so figural. Those statues of famous men, they kind of hit you over the head with their meaning. But what if your memorial is too open-ended? It looks like something that maybe belongs in Egypt. Does it matter if people don't know what it's about? This week on Interstates, we'll be talking about who to remember and how. And at the end of the episode, we've got an update on new activities in Columbus, Indiana. Stay with us. Welcome to Interstates. I'm Alex Chambers. In a city named after the founding colonizer of the Americas, in a state named after the people whose location he misidentified, there was, briefly, a memorial to the tension between those two names. Columbus, Indiana. I'd been to Columbus, Indiana before and hadn't given the irony a second thought. The difference this time was that I was there to see the memorial that highlighted that irony. It was part of an exhibition in Columbus called, appropriately, Exhibit Columbus. The organizers had asked designers and artists to make public art on the theme of new middles. They talked about middle cities in particular, the idea being mid-sized and midwestern, like Columbus. The exhibit started last August. I went in October. As I walked around with my mic, I watched people encounter the art. A lot of people just gazed at it, like they were looking at sculptures in a museum. But the pieces had platforms, astroturf hills, foggy screens to peer through, bouncy balls, which meant the kids were jumping right in. The day eventually got me thinking about history, memory, how we acknowledge the past that's still with us. But first, as we all wandered around the art, I just wanted to know who public art is for. Is it for those kids playing on it? Is it for the people who pass it daily and barely give it a glance? I don't look at it. I'm too busy watching the streets, they say. Let's be clear. Public art isn't always for the public. It's often about telling a story to the public. The way the St. Louis Arch is a gateway to the West. It's celebrating St. Louis as a jumping off point for Europeans to colonize west of the Mississippi. At least the arch is fairly abstract. Go back to the early 20th century and the line gets blurrier between public art and the monuments we've put up to famous men or to fallen soldiers. We have a lot of war memorials in this country. So many lists of names of fallen men. A lot of people are ready to pull down the statues of Confederate generals. But it gets more complicated when it comes to the soldiers who often went to war as much out of necessity as patriotism. While I was in Columbus, I walked through the war memorial. I didn't actually know what it was at first. I'm standing on 2nd Street uh, in Columbus, and there are these columns that just rise up into the sky, a square of columns. One, two, three, four, five, one, two. So 25 columns made out of limestone. I didn't know what this was at first, and then I realized it was a war memorial as you are likely to see in many downtown areas. The insides of the columns were sheer, and there was writing on them. Not just names of fallen soldiers, letters, 
from the soldiers right before they died. Others written to family members, notifying them of their loss. 13 July 1992. 18 March 1963. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Chomel. Mom. What do you think about me getting married? The attached information regarding your son. I'll see you in two weeks. The late private first class Charles D. Chomel, U.S. Marine Corps. And bring my new bride home for you to meet is provided. Love, Ralph. We will keep you informed of any actions resulting from this information. Airman second class Ralph L. Denny, U.S. Air Force, was killed March 19th, 1963. Method of search. A surface search of a 500 by 500 meter area was conducted. Mother dear. Do not worry over me. No remains, personal effects, or a discernible crash site were located in this I'm all right and tell all my friends that I died happy. Official report to his parents. I just was shot and I know that I will die. About so PFC Dennis Shumba. But God bless you. I cannot write no more. I am too weak. Your son, Lewis. His body has never been recovered. Lewis Tabor wrote this letter to his mother, Susan Tabor, of Columbus from a hospital bed in France hours before he died of wounds suffered in a World War I battle. You feel that loss hearing those names. I wondered though, standing there surrounded by these moving stories, what it meant to etch these particular stories into stone. It's interesting to think about the limestone that's been taken from the ground and what it's been used for, what we're trying to say with the limestone, I guess. And right here, we're saying that the deaths of these men, all men, are the things that mattered and that we need to remember. And I do think it's important to remember their deaths, but I wonder too about the other deaths of other people, maybe not men, uh, other people who haven't been remembered and why they haven't been remembered. And I'm inclined to say they haven't been remembered because they weren't part of the conquering army. I had ended up at the war memorial by chance. I had come to see a different memorial. But that one didn't point to a moment in history. There were no names on it. No particular war, no group of fallen soldiers, no individuals. It was way more abstract. And yet, as I would come to learn, it tied together a lot of different histories about colonialism, the native people who first lived here, the European laborers who've been quarrying it for generations, and you might say those kids, too, who were climbing all over it. As I walked up to the churchyard where this art piece or memorial stood, I met a man waiting for a bus. Uh, a little early, but uh, they can either come from that direction or from this direction. And they both go to the same place, the bus station just north of Millrace Park. Okay. And then I get on the right bus and then I go home to uh, Donner Park. And can you just say where we are? Uh, we're at the corner of Franklin and Fifth Street. And you're looking east and I'm looking south. I was there because I was curious about what was going on in that churchyard. In the corner. The corner of Franklin and Fifth Street. Where we were standing, the kids were playing among valleys and hills. The AstroTurf hills rose about two feet off the lawn, then fell into limestone valleys. Maybe a stream bed made of limestone blocks. At one end of the valley, there was a tower like a 10-foot cell phone tower, but instead of those rectangular antennae, there were diamonds of limestone framed with intricately detailed metal pieces. I asked the man waiting for the bus what he thought about it. It looks like something that maybe belongs in Egypt. <laughs> it's Egyptian looking. Uh, I don't know why, but it, uh, that's how it strikes me. 
I, I don't know. I've never read this before. I'd never had time to. I don't know. The pharaohs would have liked it. <laughs> it. It must be that scrawling on there, you know. It reminds me of a movie I saw once called Land of the Pharaohs. Still no bus. Hmm. Well, you see, they'll, they'll both be passing this way uh -huh. to, uh, to go back to the station. The bus station where, where they all gather before each uh, bus run. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I know I'm a little early. Okay. So, and here is the number five bus. bus. And then there was a bus. When I asked for his name, he hesitated. Just for a second. Was he suspicious of me? I think he was. Am, am I on uh, camera? Well, where's the camera? You know, <laughs> there's, my... no ca there's no physical camera. It's just, it's just radio. His hesitation made me wonder if he was coming up with a wild card for the man with the mic. Can you tell me your name? Uh, Gregory Peck. I was named after him. Really? Greg. Greg. I like his movies. Uh, be sure and see all of them, especially since of Kilimanjaro. It's a great film. Gregory Peck had a bus to catch, so he went over to a woman sitting on a bench nearby. Her kids were the ones playing on the structure. What's your name? Uh, Dusty Eggers. Dusty Eggers? Yes. Named after the singer. <coughs> Dusty Springfield. That's right. Named after Dusty Springfield. I just met Gregory Peck and Dusty Eggers. It was an auspicious start. I told Dusty I was doing a radio project on public art, and she asked her kids a question. What's art? What were we talking about? What's art? Art is good. And it, it's anything that makes you have an emotion when you look at it. And when we have emotion, and when we have an emotion, it's called art. Yeah, and I found that. It was art. Art isn't about getting things right and wrong. As Dusty and her kids said, it's about feeling something. Partly. It's time for a short break. When we come back, we'll go beyond the feelings to what public art can help us think about. You're listening to Interstates. Welcome back to Interstates. I'm Alex Chambers. We're talking about a piece of art that was on display in Columbus, Indiana, as part of Exhibit Columbus last fall. Art is at its best when it helps us feel things we didn't know we could feel. But public art and memorials can also reshape the space around them, get us thinking about history and who we are in new ways. As I stood there in Columbus, looking at astroturf hills rising up from limestone blocks, I could sense the southern Indiana landscape, the rolling hills, the quarries. This is limestone country. We've been digging out the limestone for over a century. Our limestone built the nation, some people say. But the hills bring up other histories, the land before the extraction and who the land belonged to before it was taken to be sold. When I first saw this piece of art, it reminded me of these densely undulating hills in an out-of-the-way corner on the campus of the University of Michigan. The hills must have been three feet tall, the peaks maybe four feet apart. When I visited, I would stand at the top of one hill and let gravity pull me down, running, until the momentum took me up the next, over and over. I know, this sounds like a childhood memory, but I was like 20 years old. Anyway, that was one of Maya Lin's wave fields. You know Maya Lin, she designed the Vietnam Memorial. You had to know where to look for that wave field. This churchyard in Columbus, though, right downtown. You should be able to find public art, come across it on a wrong turn. This one wasn't that hard to find in person. 
But even standing on it didn't tell me what the artist was thinking about, what the piece was trying to do or say. La Waso Ground is, um, we call it contemporary memorial and a community ground of land, water, and soil. Get it? Land, water, soil. La Waso. I figured I should talk with the designers themselves. That's Jia Kim. She's originally from Seoul, Korea. Born and raised. And she's now an architecture professor at Indiana University's Eskenazi School of Art, Architecture, and Design. She designed Lawasso Ground with Dorian Bybee. I'm also a faculty member at IU at the Eskenazi School. I teach interior design in the undergraduate program there. I spoke with them at the Bybee Stone Company. That's the stone mill that Dorian's family owns. Gia, or Jay, as she has Americans call her. Jay said they were trying to emphasize some basic things about culture. That's why they focused on land, water, and soil. Which are the rudimentary elements for many different cultures in the world. And then we connected to the culture of Indiana limestone, which is our core material of our research and design. We wanted to engage in that as like something related to colonial culture as a limestone itself had been used for a century and a half to build up the nation, especially for monuments and also civic buildings. Limestone, from this one small part of Indiana, is the facing on the Empire State Building, the Pentagon, the National Cathedral, to name just a few. Indiana limestone built up the nation's legacy. A legacy, of course, that involves a lot more than just triumphant settlers conquering the land. So we related the limestone to connected to the name of Columbus, which is the symbol of a colonial culture. Columbus, the man helped Europeans start to settle the Americas. That encounter of Europe and the Americas brought a world-changing exchange of plants and animals, languages and technologies. It also led to a devastating decline in human population, from around 54 million people in the Americas in 1492 to about 6 million in 1650. History is complex. And I think you can like the Empire State Building and still acknowledge the holes that were left to build it. Jay and Dorian realized they had to acknowledge those holes. The coring production area, they call it Stone Belt, which is 40 miles length, and then maybe sometimes four miles with a long, um, thin production belt. There are many quarries left along that area, and we really wanted to engage with the extracted land form of those quarries that is left over or still active. And the limestone quarry becomes a spiritual memorial of that industry. The people engaged go swim there and they think about the, the history, how things were built. Quarries are defined by what's gone. They're filled with absence. All that stone taken somewhere else, made into stories. So when we looked at how monuments and memorials, the stories they tell. Uh, we looked at the fact that typically it means that we're choosing one version of history over another. Usually it's the quote-unquote winners who design the monuments and memorials. And we wanted to recognize that there are other cultures, other histories, other stories that are really important. We wanted to create a different different kind of memorial that didn't celebrate just the winners or a single version of, of history, but could become a space where multiple narratives could happen at the same time. So we're here in Indiana where we have these rolling hills uh, in the landscape, but we also have these quarries that have been extracted from the ground 
and then looking at Native American cultures, the, the older ones that made mounds and various types of earthworks, and then thinking, okay, so how can we bring these together uh, in such a way that it really inspires dialogue at the site and rethinks the, the whole preoccupation of what a monument or memorial is. They wanted to point to the long history of the land where Columbus, Indiana now sits. Jay reminded me of all the tribes who have lived here. From very old culture of Adena, Hopewell, and Cahokia to, you know, more modern tribes of uh, Miami and um, Delaware and Kickapoo or Potawatomi and other um, Shawnee. Indiana has no reservations. All the native tribes were pushed westward. That doesn't mean all the people were. Like so many place names in this country, it's easy to hear Indiana as a memorial itself. Like it's honoring the people who were here before. As if Native Americans only exist in the past. It can be easier that way to put people in the past. You don't have to deal with what they might need right now. That's something I like about Loazzo Ground. Even if it's billed as a memorial, it points to today's landscape too. There's the rolling hills and quarries. There's the tower with patterns designed by Katrina Mitten, a Native American and Hoosier beadworker. The tower might be reaching up to the sky as a kind of prayer. Or maybe it reflects a different kind of worship. 5G, texting. The hills also refer to Native American mounds. So then form becomes a way of commemorating um, or celebrating their cultures. So we were trying to thinking about the symbolic monuments or memorials that the people built, and especially in terms of how the imagery of uh, public art in the public ground, especially in the city center, everything is built up with a very close image of like sculptural and very literal about this is the person who built the nation. Christopher Columbus, Robert Lee, you know, that kind of literalness of the monuments. As opposed to a memorial that almost emerges right out of the natural environment. A memorial that people can walk around in. Maybe one that acknowledges multiple histories. Not just the conquerors, but the people who lived here first. Yeah, and throughout the design, we invited some of our indigenous people, Shawnee and the Miami especially. They are definitely frustrated about their culture is not depicted in the nations and especially in the public art in the civic center of Indianapolis. One of the sculpture is Christopher Columbus depicted in the sculpture and then uh, indigenous culture is actually kneeling down and worshiping his figure. You know, that kind of um, illustration in the civic area is becoming more problematic. If you go to Chicago in the Michigan Avenue, there are big bar leaf sculpture that are victoriously celebrating the win- winning scene over the indigenous people, their fighting scene, basically. It should be clear by now that memorials need to be revisited. What might have been acceptable in one time may not be anymore. There are examples of that all over the country, but let's stick with Indiana. That Christopher Columbus Memorial Jay mentioned is on the southwest side of the Indiana State House. A bronze bust of old Columbus himself sits on a granite post with a scene carved into it. In the center stands a bare-chested man, sort of Roman-looking. To his right stands a black man, his gaze averted downward. Below him, a woman kneels, and I don't know, she might be looking past the man in the center, but it really looks like she's staring at the vague cloth covering his loins. 
To the man's right, a stereotypical Native American crouches, gazing up at the white man as if he's the pinnacle of civilization. You know, I think monuments to Columbus are so interesting and problematic, and there's so much to them, and, and they represent so many different things. That's Richard McCoy. And I am the executive director of Landmark Columbus Foundation. That's the foundation that runs Exhibit Columbus. I had called him to ask whether the exhibits were permanent. They're all temporary, all the time. But it turned out he had also been thinking about that Columbus monument in Indy. When I looked at the Columbus Memorial or monument in downtown Indianapolis, it's just on the southwest side of the State House. It represents Italian-Americans trying to illustrate that they have a piece of American heritage and as a way to sort of elevate their status within society, you know, a lot of that stuff was the Italians, they were considered of the same class as like they were at the lowest class and they were using that at Columbus as a way to sort of get out of um, their class struggles. Like, yeah, look, Americans, we belong here. And it was like they were considered like at the same social scale as freed black people in New York. Mm-hmm. And they were living in the poorest parts of the city and they were and they were trying like anything they could to like, no, no, we're white like you. We're Christopher Columbus white. I don't know if that quite counts as a defense of the monument. Italian Americans were facing serious racism, but their embrace of Columbus and whiteness just reinforced the idea of a racial hierarchy. But Richard's not defending the monument per se. I fully understand how problematic Christopher Columbus is. And the fact that it's complicated should remind us that memorials and public art are always of their time. Sometimes we need to reevaluate them. What's the benefit of having a temporary piece? Well, that's a good question. You know, and it's one that I think people that work in public art think a lot about. And there's a certain part of that group that thinks that, you know, we shouldn't even be messing around with permanent things anymore, just because they always eventually become problematic and that it's it's more appropriate to make temporary things that that flash and 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 arc across the sky and then go away. I think there should be both. People in, in cities should have the courage to think about what is the best of their culture and what they want to represent and, and put out in the public realm and then stand by it for a long time and to really make a contribution to society. And I think the temporary things can become more experimental, more cutting edge. They can push farther and harder into ideas in the public realm that, that you can't do in a, in a permanent monument and, and maybe you shouldn't do in a permanent monument. And so I, they, I think they're doing totally different things. And I, I, love, I love both spaces. Lawasso Ground is open-ended. It invites people in. It's welcoming, but that also means you might not know what it's about. I wondered how much that mattered to Jay and Dorian. So I talked to a few people. I went out to the to the site and I talked to a few people there. And one guy, I asked him what he thought. And he was like, well, it kind of makes me think of the pharaohs. And someone else said, you know, I can't remember. She just, she just liked that her kids were playing on it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious what your thoughts are on putting something out there and trying to create a discussion. And if, you know, the people who are then sort of engaging with it like have a completely different discussion in relation to that. What do you think about that? Good. <laughs> I mean, as we were just describing, if, if the intent is to encourage conversation and dialogue, 
then and to do so without trying to manipulate that conversation or dialogue then it naturally follows that different observations different opinions of the work are going to come out and i think ideally the more diverse those opinions are the more successful our project is so you said somebody thought it looked like something to do with the pharaohs in egypt I had not heard that. We heard lots of responses from people while we were on site, but that one's one of my favorites now because I would have never guessed it, but that's wonderful. So, and I think in general, we both feel a, a lot of our interests in design revolve around not uh, forcing a certain interpretation of work, but designing things that encourage thought. And certainly that's part of what we wanted La Waso Ground to do. The problem of, let's say, typical public monument was singular reading. That was really direct because it's so figural, which is educational. But at the same time, there's no room of imagination and interpretation of that public art, which is basically directive and singular. Right, right. Like it's, it's having just the one narrative right. that's very clear right. and sort of forcing it on yeah, everyone who's experiencing the piece. Right. Well, so, yeah, monuments, memorials in general tend to be a tool of control. So controlling the narrative, controlling our version of history. And so in our project, we wanted to kind of give that control back uh, and leave that control in the hands of the people who would come and actually occupy the site. And I, I you know, we have a certain bias here uh, towards our own project, I think. But I, I like that version of a monument or a memorial. The idea that our civic spaces um, might present, as Jay said earlier, multiplicities, you know, opportunities for the public to kind of claim their own version of the narrative, which oftentimes might be more accurate. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I do think the kids who are rolling down the, the hills were a really good example of that. Now, children, we all need to pay attention. It's not just because we have our own children. Uh, that kind of forces you to notice this, but children occupy spaces better than adults do, and they oftentimes show us the way in so many different uh, different contexts. And yeah, for sure, seeing kids on our project was one of the highlights. I think because they just they just enjoy it, like in this very natural human way. And you know, we're sitting here trying to grapple with these complicated ideas of history and narrative and potentially genocide and, and colonial culture and, and all these really difficult, heavy things. And you, you look at the, the project and you see a, a four-year-old just rolling down the hill laughing and giggling and you're like, I, I like that as well. That's really wonderful. Most of the people who saw Lawaso Ground probably didn't walk away reflecting on who gets to control the story of a place. Well, I, I really love this one on the corner. It's um... Emily Board lives in Columbus, and I can imagine she'd have something to say about the difference between a tall, imposing monument of a famous man versus an open-ended memorial that invites you to come in to play. It has kind of astroturf domes, um, little cement alleys and things. But Lawasso Ground brought something else up for her. I think it's kind of nostalgic for me because it reminds me a lot of what the Commons Mall, have you been to the Commons Mall playground? It's it, it, it used to look just like that. It had big mounded astroturf with tunnels going through. It was super magical. And so that's that one reminds me of, of what it, it used to be. And when we took, um, we took my daughter who's three and then a two-year-old and a one-year-old over there and they they were touching the symbols. They were 
you know, tracing them, asking questions, saying, look, a triangle, look, a square, rolling on the hills. And um, so I like that one because it, I, I like the, the concept, but then I also liked how easily the children felt like they could be a part of it. Kids play on the art or on the playground, the ground for play. And it's also a ground for remembering. And maybe it gets us talking about big ideas. Or maybe we just stand nearby and remember the rain. I especially like that last rain we had. It lasted 12 hours, <laughs> that last rain we had. It started slowing down around 6 to 6.30. I thought, oh good, it's finally going to stop. No, it was, it was just light. It was a light rain, but then it built up again. It went back. It's time for a short break. When we come back, what we talk about when we paint on walls. Welcome back to Interstates. I'm Alex Chambers. When I was out in Columbus last fall, I came across a wall with a pattern painted on it. The bricks had been painted white, and there were black shapes on top of that. I wondered to myself, street art? Graffiti? Mural? Actually, I didn't wonder at all. It was obviously a mural. Murals might be the oldest forms of human art. There's a cave in Indonesia with a painting of a wild Celebes warty pig that's over 45,000 years old. The painting, I mean, not the pig. There's the cave of hands in Argentina, a rock wall covered with stencils of left hands, as if a crowd of people is waving at you from 10,000 years ago. But those are old and protected. Most of us don't usually feel invited to join in painting public spaces. I mean, that's the whole thing about graffiti, right? Part of the thrill is that you're not supposed to be doing it. Even the great Mexican muralists of a century ago, they were making populist art. They were envisioning a new society, a society where art was for the people. But as far as I know, Diego Rivera wasn't inviting the people to paint. Still, murals were an important part of larger political movements. For the Chicano movement in the U.S., they were a way to communicate when language or literacy was a barrier. They depicted struggles against oppression in the U.S., they gave people a sense of collective identity, and they emphasized the lives of people who weren't usually part of the story. In Northampton, Massachusetts, there's a mural showing three centuries of women's history that I would see whenever I went downtown as a kid. We can look at those murals and be reminded of people whose stories were left untold. We might be impressed by the artistry of the work. Still, we probably don't feel invited to put paint on the wall. But then, last fall, I was at the annual Fiesta Latina in Columbus, and I saw kids painting the wings of a giant butterfly. It was at one end of the festival, past the Brazilian Friends Band on the outdoor stage, past the stands selling horchata and tacos al pastor, past the booths for local volunteer networks, there was a big wooden board, about six feet by nine, with the outline of the butterfly in black. And there was a woman helping the kids fill their palettes with color. This is called Nuestras Salas. So it's a mural project between uh, Columbus Area Arts Council, Sucasa Columbus. I'm the project coordinator for this. My name is Carla Guerrero. I work for Sucasa Columbus as the youth engagement coordinator. I'm pretty uh, passionate about mural projects out in at Los Angeles. Um, so I've done quite a bit of studying around mural projects that are done basically around Chicano art though, so Mexican-American, so looking at different um, symbolic things like the Virgen de Guadalupe, and they do big mural projects where they put even like famous icons from like Latinidad 
Um, so I thought what would be so cool is if the community was to be a part of that, right? If they all came up and added, because the mural you see, it gets commissioned and then you have artists that come in, but never is it community folks who are just adding to that piece, right? So I took something like a mural and said, all right, let's make it interactive a little bit so folks can also be a part of it. Because I think there's something really significant about adding to something, you know, even if it's in the smallest ways, because you're like, look at that and you're like, I was a part of that in some way, you know, instead of just walking by it and being like, oh, this is beautiful. And it signifies our, our community. But being that tangible part of it, I think, is what's really important and what leaves in the minds of like kids and families, you know, because they're like, oh, yeah, we were a part of that. We did that, which is the exciting part, um, which I wanted to do with the murals because I always walk by murals and I'm like, oh, I wonder who did that. I wish I could be a part of that, you know. So now looking at this, you could be like, oh, yeah, I was, you know, but I really want to continue this interactive mural piece because I think it's fun. Um, it could look different ways for different age groups and things like that. Um, but this was an experiment, to be honest. It seemed like it was working. One side of the board had that outline of the monarch to honor all the immigrants in the community. The monarch takes a long flight between Mexico and here to the United States. It's a very delicate animal, so it's kind of a metaphor for all of the immigrants and much of our community coming here to Columbus and migrating all that long way. So when you say uh, my community, can you tell me what you mean? When I say my community, I think about the people that I've experienced, that we experience the same things. We're fighting for the same cause. Um, we're making space for ourselves. We're trying to get the same resources. We're trying to get to clinics. We're trying to get food. We're trying to get clothing. And we're just finding ways to to get those resources without it costing so much money. With all the challenges that we face, we're trying to see ways to move around a system that kind of prevents us from certain things. So for example, I'm a DACA student. So every two years I have to renew my DACA. So things like that prevent me from getting gov government help. So community comes in and is like, hey, we're gonna help you out. These are the resources here. Can art be one of those resources? I think Carla would say so. This mural project gave people another way of thinking about community too. The wall was freestanding. So I walked around to the other side. A man had just painted something on it. Oh. Flat, uh, flat of the of Nicaragua, Central America. Uh, I just put the name of the country, Nicaragua, right? And I put uh, one of the our famous word that we use in Nicaragua. You can spell it Diacachimba. So it's kind of difficult to say it, but it's like saying. I'm happy. I'm good. I'm. I'm the Akachimba. <laughs> yeah. That was Enrique and Tasnim. As they said, they're from Nicaragua, and they came to Columbus for summer vacation and to make some extra money. And uh, now we had three years over here. Really? <laughs> yeah. You're in Columbus? Yep. You yes. live here? Yes. How's it been? Actually, very good. I mean, it's totally different, our culture and everything. Food, people. Yeah. jobs and everything, you know, but we love it. I mean, we have a good experience over here. You were like less sure. <laughs> what do you say? You were like, I asked how your experience was and, and he was like, yeah, it's been great. And you were like, ah. yeah, I like it. You know what? When we go to another cities, we miss Columbus. Yeah, I don't know why, but we miss Columbus. 
Tasneem came to Columbus with no idea what it would be like. I have no expectation, to be honest. I just saying I just go to work for three months. I was not expecting anything, but we are here. We like it. Like I told you, we feel at home. <laughs> How long do you expect to be here? We have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea about it. We go to our country every year. We go to visit, but we don't have plan to go back right now. Everyone in Columbus was talking about what a lovely place it was. Could it really be that great? I thought it might have had to do with my public radio microphone. Enrique had a different idea. It could be maybe because you have, you have uh, several cultures over here. You have Central American people, Mexican people, North American people, Colombian people, Venezuelan people, also Brazilian people. You know, and uh, you were like, how in the world this small town can get together too many different cultures in once? And like she said, we feel like home over here. This art that we were standing in front of was about all those different identities and more. It was another board, painted white. At the top, it said soy. I am. Mixed soy, güera. And people had written all kinds of things on it. I am mujer mexicana, immigrante, una colombiana, resiliencia, dominicana, una buena bilingüe, chicana, book lover, vecinos de enlace, mexicana, Puerto Rico, happy, Veracruz, go venados, and diacachimba. Here's Carla again, who created the piece. What we do here is going to inspire other folks to also do projects alike and talk about what's going on, right? Um, and you see that as people come and add to the artwork. Um, and they're just kind of talking about it like, uh, what should I write? You know, what is my identity? Who am I? Well, uh, you know, apart from a mom or, you know, these parts about ourselves that we don't often get to talk about. So these spaces just serve as like a cultural conversation where it's like, yeah, I am Puerto Rican, or yeah, I am Dominican, I am Mexican, like, you know, and like embracing that, you know, we have a couple of, um, this is Go Venados is a, um, a running club um, in Chicago. Um, so she was like, yeah, this is me, you know, I'm a runner, you know, and people didn't know that about me, you know, because they only see what, what I do for others, right? Um, so they're sharing those parts of themselves. One of them is WAPA, you know, embracing like um, self-confidence, you know, in the community. Uh, we have Dreamer, you know, we're all dreamers in some way. We dream up futures, what our communities might look like, what we hope them to be. Um, and I think that this piece kind of creates a canvas for people to be like, who are we? You know, what, what does our expression look like? So yeah, like I think that bilingual is also really important. We're bilingual, we speak different languages, and we, we find community through that. Because it's exciting to like know somebody else who speaks another language or multiple languages, you know, and connect through that and be like, oh, well, I do that too. I'm taking classes in this. And that forms connections, right? So I think that that's what it is. I think art has a really fun way of uh, bringing out people's fun sides and messiness and I'm trying to gather more art friends because I have like a background in um, art studio. Um, so I'm trying to get more artists to kind of form like a club of some sort so we can do like activist artwork because that's kind of what I'm about. Kind of art artivism. That's what we used to call it. Artivism. And I love that. I think there's so much we could do here in the community, even if it's like art projects that are like based on social justice initiatives, I think would be such a cool way of like connecting people. 
in the future I see like a nonprofit yeah. cultural arts center here in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's that's a long term goal, but sure. it's there somehow. Yeah. I'll be yeah. organizing towards that goal. So awesome. Um, can you say your name again so I have yeah. it on this recording? My name is Carla Guerrero. Okay. You pronounced it differently this time. Oh, oh I said it Carla Guerrero. Carla Guerrero. It sounds better like that. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Uh, <laughs> the angle away this time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Carla Guerrero, Carla Guerrero. I'm like code switching. Yeah, totally comes with yeah. Well, I, yeah, I felt like you were like really, yeah, you're holding that identity the first time we talked. Yeah. And then like this time you're like, I don't know, talking about coming from Japan. Yeah, it it's does. And you know, switching. yeah, because I'm Chicana and my culture is Mexican American. So when I'm, when I'm with my more le- like Mexican friends, things like that, there's a different vernacular that happens. There's a different way that we talk, um, different Spanish words and stuff like that. Whereas English, it's more. Um, the way I was taught was more direct or more organized, maybe, uh, is a good way, maybe. Uh, whereas with, with Spanish, it's like, ah, no me importa. Like, it doesn't matter how I say things, you know, but I think it is, you know. It, it's always, it's that identity piece of going in between both spaces and figuring out what's comfortable and meeting different people as well, right? Like, what parts do I show? What, what is accepted, what is not. Because I think that as an immigrant, I have those fears. You know, what is accepted, what is not, what makes people feel comfortable, what doesn't. Um, and it's kind of how we, we all are when we come from different, um, different cultures. And we pick up from different cultures. We just want to be respectful, things like that. So I think it's always a conscious effort for me um, to be navigating between those identities. But the more I get comfortable, the more you see kind of my 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 use of the Chicana lingu- linguistic come out more uh-huh. uh, just because I get more comfortable, you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay, this is fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Later that day, I was standing by a memorial for limestone workers and the indigenous people who've lived here for more generations than anyone else. I was talking to a man about a bus when a car went by. It was pulling a trailer. On the trailer was a wall, about six feet by nine, with a bunch of words painted on it. It was messy and colorful. It made me think of another wall, in a cave, where a bunch of hands had been stenciled on. Were they waving? Singing? I don't know. But both of those walls, from October and long ago, held a kind of presence. It was people saying, we're here. Even when we're gone, still, we're here. You're listening to Interstates. I'm Alex Chambers. It's been a minute since I recorded that episode. Lawasso Ground and the other public art pieces have been taken down. They were, after all, meant to be temporary. But there's going to be a new round of pieces in 2023, and the process of developing them has just started. I called Richard McCoy back to learn more about what's next at Exhibit Columbus. The program is now in its fifth year. It's a program of our organization that is a kind of exploration of community and how it connects with architecture, art, and design. But here's the thing. 
Like Columbus's architecture, Exhibit Columbus isn't just a local southern Indiana thing. And it's really gratifying as a Hoosier to think that the art and culture that we produce here is as good as anybody else is doing in the United States. That's a little bit against sometimes what I think a, a traditional kind of Hoosier's mentality around art and culture or how maybe the coast look at Indiana. And we're here to say... There's really interesting stuff happening in the middle of America. For example... On Monday, September 26th, we hosted an event that celebrated the fifth anniversary of the movie Columbus, which was directed by what is a rising international star in a South Korean director named Kokonada. And we had two actors in John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson who all wanted to come back to Columbus to experience the town again. Of course, we were desperate and dying to celebrate with them, but it was really gratifying to know that this place impacted their ideas of of place and that they wanted to come back and celebrate with us. Exhibit Columbus works on a two-year cycle, and it kicks off with a symposium, a public conversation about whatever the theme is for that cycle. This round's theme is public by design. We're interested in exploring how people work through public spaces and public institutions through design and how cities are investing to make public institutions and public spaces better. And that means working with cities, city governments, to think about how they can be more thoughtful about designing public space. We're launching the symposium on Friday morning, October 21, with a presentation by Trinity Simmons, She is the executive director of the Mayor's Institute on City Design. This is an institution that's built to educate mayors on how they can become the chief design officer of their city. And so she is one that works with mayors all across the country and really has her sort of hand on the pulse of where cities are going. The Mayor's Institute on City Design, after the murder of George Floyd, created something called the Just City Fellowship, which is really working to bring attention to African-American challenges in cities, and they're doing it in a remarkable way. And so I'm excited about her kicking it off. And then that night, uh, we'll have workshops during the day, and then that Friday night, we'll actually meet all of our Jay Irwin and Xenia S. Miller Prize winners, which are four amazing firms from around North America. And they'll be in conversation with the editor of our newspaper, And so we really are interested in how our newspaper is connected to our community and represents, in many ways, the voices of the community and reflects that back in the paper. And so she's going to talk to our Miller Prize winners. They have guests coming in from across the U.S. and Mexico. Richard says they're among the most innovative thinkers on topics around community, municipalities, architecture, and art. And they're all asking the same question which is, what does public by design mean to me? And how can I show my interest in working with a community to make public spaces more equitable, beautiful, joyful, and interesting? One of our curators, Raymond Ryan, who is at the Heinz Architectural Center in Pittsburgh, talks about architecture sometimes being dropped from planet architecture. And it just arrives. And we're not interested in in having things dropped from planet architecture. We're interested in things growing organically from community conversations and with designers that want to work with us. And we've kind of flipped it all on its head. There won't be much of the sage on a stage telling you all the beautiful things, but it'll be more of like, how do you get involved and think about the things that we're working with in a kind of 
workshop or design charrette a model. They're thinking about how art works in small cities across the Midwest, and so they've also started a collaboration with Bloomington's assistant director for the arts, Holly Warren. Who is one of our six curatorial partners with Exhibit Columbus. She's helping produce the symposium, and next April they'll be working on an event in Bloomington. Holly also moderated that conversation about the movie Columbus, and that got Richard thinking about another movie set in a small Indiana city. We're now thinking about the movie Breaking Away because it was so much about youth and place and belonging. Um, It was a fascinating story, but the story of Columbus was also, Columbus the movie was about youth and belonging and leaving. And this idea of, of building your identity of being from a place, but then outsiders and what they think about it. So much that I think Hoosiers are still thinking about. The symposium is Friday, October 21st and Saturday, October 22nd in downtown Columbus. It's a symposium, though. It might sound a little intimidating. Don't be afraid of the word symposium. It's not going to be super boring. Come check it out for a while, and if you if you don't like it, you can still walk around downtown Columbus and see some really cool things or get an ice cream comb at Saharico's or a beer at Upland. So... It's a cool time to come see Columbus at its best, really, in October. You can find more information at exhibitcolumbus.org. You've been listening to Interstates. If you have a story we should hear or some sound you want to share, let us know at wfiu.org slash interstates. That's I-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-T-E-S. Speaking of found sound, we've got your quick moment of slow radio coming up. But first, the credits. Interstates is produced and edited by me, Alex Chambers, with support from Violet Barron, Aobon Binder, Aaron Kane, Mark Chilla, Yanni Sanchez-Lopez, Peyton Whaley, and Kate Young. Our executive producer is John Bailey. Maggie Nye-Smith offered invaluable editing on this episode. Our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Gregory Peck, Dusty Eggers, Jay Kim, Dorian Bybee, Richard McCoy, Emily Board, Carla Guerrero, Enrique and Tasneem in Columbus, and Anna Grimes. Our theme music is by Amy Olsner and Justin Volmer. We have additional music from the artists at Universal Production Music and Airport People. After an episode on suppressed stories in particular, I want to acknowledge and honor the Miami, Delaware, Potawatomi, and Shawnee people, on whose ancestral homelands Indiana University Bloomington, home of WFIU, is built, as well as the generations of workers who built it. All right, Time to take a breath and listen to a place. You've been listening to Water on Rocks at Lake Monroe in southern Indiana. Until next week, I'm Alex Chambers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.